Well, this past week was spring break for many of us, and uh, gave us an opportunity to spend some undivided, undistracted, uh, focused time with the people that are most important in our lives. Amen? Our family, husband, wife, children, and uh, we had a chance to take a couple days and go down to Galveston and freeze ourselves to death. But uh, we had a lot of fun, made a lot of memories, and uh, just had a really, really great time as a family. But I would be lying to you if I told you there weren't moments of frustration along the way, as I think any family that lives on planet Earth will attest to. Amen? Um, There's no perfect family this side of heaven, and we all struggle and uh, you spend an extended time of a period of time in a van with five sinners. Uh, you put five sinners in a motel room built for two. You can uh, see what's really what you're really made of, and what's really happening in your family. And uh, we we really did have a, a challenging time of it at, at times. And uh, it's easy to. Ask yourself the question, what would it be like to be in a family that never fought? What would it be like in a family where everybody got along, where there was always peace and harmony? Um, mom and husband and wife always talked sweet to each other, never got short with one another. When, when uh, kids always said, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, and jumped when you said to do something and never protested or argued or... Uh, or that brothers and sisters could sit in the back of a van for three hours together and never punch each other or hit each other or take things away or cry. And what would that be like? Um, would that be wonderful um, to have this home that was happy all the time and that was harmonious all the time, where there was no fighting and bickering and complaining and whining and fussing and, and uh, all that stuff that we know, unfortunately, is part of a sinful family? Well, I think there is an answer to that question, and it's found in Colossians chapter 3, and I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me, and I didn't want to be the only one having to meditate on these kind of things this week. I wanted to bring you in on the meditation process, because whenever you spend that extended time together with your family, it's a great opportunity to be reminded of the instructions that God has given us in His Word regarding the family and how it's supposed to function. And I've got tons of books and notebooks and files in my library filled with information about the family. Um, In fact, it's easy to feel overwhelmed at times by all the material and resources that are available today about the family. I mean, give me a break, man. I just need to know how to get through the day. Don't give me this textbook on, you know, the family thing. And that's what I love so much about this particular passage because um, here in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, we find what I believe to be the most effective resource for families that has ever been written. It's a a mini manual for the family. It's kind of the cliff notes, if you will. Um, Because just in, in four short verses, Paul summarized everything that we need to know about the family. Four basic principles, four basic commands. 
And it's found here in verse 18, 19, 20, and 21. Paul writes, Wives, circle that, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, circle that, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, circle that, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And fathers, circle that, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Four commands, you can underline those. Wives, be subject. You can underline that. Husbands, love. You can underline that. Children, be obedient. You can underline that. And fathers, do not exasperate. You can underline that. Let me pray and we'll talk about these four verses. Father, thank you for the blessing of family, the blessing of marriage, and the blessing of children. And Lord, forgive us for the times when we allow those to become burdens. And it's usually because we're disobedient to your basic instructions for how the family should function. And I pray that as we're reminded this morning that we would be stirred up, Lord, to be these things so that our families will be all that you want them to be, that we would be a wonderful, powerful testimony to unbelievers all around us as they see our family interacting and functioning properly the way you designed it to, and that we would have an opportunity to say it's only because of Jesus that our family is this way, and it's only because of your word that has transformed our lives. So we'll give you the glory in advance for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's lots of talk today about dysfunctional families. That term dysfunctional family has really been, um, I guess, originated and popularized by uh, psychologists and psychiatrists as really an excuse, I think, for why people are the way they are. How many times have you heard, well, the reason why they're that way is they they came from a what? Dysfunctional family, as if it's not their fault. It's the family's fault. So you can't blame them for the way they are. They just came from a dysfunctional family. Well, I'll say, welcome to planet Earth, right? Um, well, I don't agree with all the psychology behind the dysfunctional family concept. I do think they've hit the nail on the head in describing the biggest problem with families today. And that is simply that the family is not functioning properly because each member is not fulfilling their proper function. And the result is chaos. I think the key to having a happy, harmonious home is to make sure that everyone in that home, everyone in that family, understands their main function and then faithfully fulfills that on a regular, ongoing basis. And in this passage, Paul addresses each family member one at a time and clearly defines for them their specific function in the family. And again, these are in, the, in the, the form of commands. Four commands. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, be obedient to your parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. 
Now, present tense imperatives in the Greek, which simply is a reminder to us that this is something that needs to be done continually. This is not a one-time thing or an occasional action, but something we need to do all the time. They need to become consistent patterns in our life or what we call a what? Habit. A habit. And what Paul is saying here is that wives need to be in the habit of submitting to their husbands. And husbands need to be in the habit of loving their wives. And kids need to be in the habit of obeying their parents. And parents need to be in the habit of not exasperating their children. I've entitled this message, Four Habits of a Happy, Harmonious Home, if you want to write that down. But I believe that developing and maintaining these four habits is the key to a happy, harmonious home. And so I want to look at these four habits with you this morning, and I've called them, I've chosen the word habit purposefully, because these are not something that you learn to do overnight. It takes time. Those of you that are working with your kids, right, on obeying first time, right away, with the right attitude, that, didn't, that doesn't come naturally, does it? It's something that you have to continually work on. Well, guess what? Mom has to work on being submissive to dad, right? That doesn't come naturally. Husbands, it doesn't come naturally for us to love our wives like Christ loved the church. These are habits. These are things that take time and they take practice. And you have to do them over and over and over again for a lifetime as you learn how to do these things. And so let's look at these. And I've just got one word to describe each one of these. The first one is submission. That's the first habit of a happy home is submission. Paul says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And so Paul says, bottom line, the wife's responsibility is to be a submissive helper. A submissive helper. Wives, it says, be subject, which means to voluntarily submit to another person. To line yourself up under someone. And it was used in the Greek language to talk about a military uh, situation or relationship where a soldier submitted himself to a superior officer. You can turn back to Ephesians chapter uh, 5, which is the parallel passage here, which uh, gives uh, these principles just with some greater detail. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, wives be subject to your own husbands as to who? As to the Lord, in other words, like you would to the Lord. For the husband is is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And so, Paul here, with the Christians in Ephesus, says, you need to submit wives in the same way that the church submits to Christ. Very honorable thing. And really, submission is, when you, when you understand it in the context of these passages, it's a beautiful thing. And it shouldn't be forced. Submission shouldn't be a forced thing. It shouldn't be a, oh man, I have to submit to my husband thing. It should be an understanding that, that it's motivated by a recognition of God's design, not just for the church and Christ, but it's a design, bottom line, for men and women. We don't have the time this morning, but we could look back at Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and we could see how God created men and women what? Equal. Equal. Galatians 3.28 talks about that, how, how we are equals in Christ. Spiritually speaking, men and women are equal, but God created men and women to fulfill different roles and functions. That's very, very important to understand. God designed man to be the one in authority and the woman to submit to that authority. 
God created the man first to be the leader and the wife second to be his what? To be his helper. And so there's leader-helper relationship was ordained by God in the Garden of Eden. Notice what it says back in Colossians chapter 3. It says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, it's proper. It's right. It, it fits God's design for the family. Now, I think that word is interesting as is fitting in the Lord because submission is anything but fitting in our culture, isn't it? It's unfitting in our society. It's not even fitting in some churches today, unfortunately. Um, and the reason is, I think, is submission is oftentimes equated with inferiority. Um, well, if you submit, that means you're inferior. Um, but I think that's a misunderstanding of submission. I mean, all you have to do is, is turn over to 1 Corinthians 11.3. Look over there real quickly. 1 Corinthians 11.3. Just back a few pages. Paul is talking here about men and women in the context of head coverings, which we're not going to get into this morning. <laughs> but he says this, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. Anybody got a problem with Christ being our head? And that we have a responsibility as believers to submit to our head? The one who's in charge, the authority, Jesus Christ. Anybody got a problem with that? Okay. And the man is the head of a woman. In other words, the man is the one who's been put in authority over a woman, and the woman is supposed to submit to that man. Anybody got a problem with that? You better not say you do, because look at the next part. Next part. And God is the head of who? Christ. So now we can bring the Trinity in on this deal. And we understand that there are three persons in the Trinity who are equal in essence, right? But they fulfill different what? Functions. Different roles. And so when Jesus Christ submitted himself to the Father's will to take on the form of a human being and come and even humble himself even to the point of what? Death on the cross. Did that make Jesus Christ in any way inferior to the Father? No. He was just fulfilling a different function. And see, so if you say that you can't submit and be on the same page or you're inferior if you have to submit, well, then you don't understand the Trinity. Um, so, ladies, this is an exciting thing. Wives, you, you get, you're caught up in this wonderful, beautiful thing, Christ and the church and the three members of the Trinity and submission and authority, and, and you're just all caught up and wrapped up in this whole bundle of good stuff that Paul's talking about here. It's a beautiful thing. And so the first habit of a happy home is wives submitting to their husbands. And so wives, if you qualify as a wife this morning, let me ask you a question. Are you faithfully fulfilling your responsibility to maintain a happy home? Are you being a submissive helper? That's the first habit of a happy home. And it's not in the Bible, but maybe it should have been, right? That phrase, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? You know, we joke about that, and some of you, the, the bristles are going back, what are you saying about that? Well, but hey, can we just be honest for a second? Unfortunately, isn't that too often true in homes? That, that there are some ladies, for whatever reason, that if they're not happy, there's nobody else in the house that's going to be happy until I'm happy? Well, that's very unbiblical. Um, wives need to be submissive helpers. And so you need to ask yourselves, why is this morning? Hey, am I part of the solution here to a happy and harmonious home or am I part of the problem here? 
That's the first habit, submission. The second habit is affection. The second habit is affection. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. So Paul says the husband's responsibility is to be a lover of their wife, the loving leader. And that word love there is the word agape, which is God's kind of love. You need to love the way God loves, that selfless, sacrificial commitment. When it says that God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. Again, turn back to Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul expands on this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as who? Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so we need to be willing to sacrifice our lives. And let me say this, because most of us will never have to sacrifice our life, but we will have to sacrifice our desires and our expectations and our goals and our dreams and our preferences. We will need to sacrifice those in order to love our wives. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. In other words, Men, we need to be loving our wives to the point where we are going to do everything we can in our power by God's grace to help them become more like Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate, really, act of love for our wife is to help them to become, is to learn to love God more. And that requires us to be spiritual leaders. And if we love our wives, we're going to be spiritual leaders so that we can lead them spiritually and say, follow me as I follow Christ. He goes on to say, so husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. We can relate to that a little bit better, can't we, guys? Because we naturally love ourselves. And so he's saying, you need to love your wife like you do yourself. Because we already know you do. Paul's saying, I already know you love yourself, so you need to love your wife the same way you love yourself. And in fact, when you do love your wife like you love yourself, you are loving who? Yourself. Because it says, he who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as Christ also does the church because we're members of his body. In other words, we become one. We get married, husbands and wife, right? We become one. And so when you hurt your wife, who are you hurting? Yourself. Back in Colossians chapter 3, he says, Husbands, love your wives... And do not be embittered against them. Don't become bitter. The NIV, I think it says, don't become, or do not be harsh with them. Anybody struggle with that, guys? You ever have a tendency or tempted to be harsh with your wife? I think it's in there for a reason. God knew that that was an area that we were going to tend to struggle with as husbands, is that we were going to, Instead of loving them the way we should, we were going to get embittered towards them. And that's what happens. Unfortunately, when problems occur, when our expectations are unfulfilled, we get upset with what she did or didn't do. We don't deal with it. We don't talk about it. We don't forgive them. And bitterness begins to build up in our hearts. And then we blow up and treat her harshly, impatiently and lovingly. Or maybe we clam up and do the same thing, right? We treat her harshly by snubbing her and not interacting with her. So the second habit of a happy home 
is husbands loving their wives and not being embittered towards them. So guys, husbands, if you qualify, are you faithfully fulfilling your responsibility to, to have a happy home? Are you loving your wife or are you embittered towards your wife? What is the habit? What is the pattern? See, we're looking at patterns. I'm not saying, did you do that once or did you do it a couple of What is the pattern? The general pattern of your life should be moving in this direction. Are you being a loving leader in your home? Are you part of the problem? Are you the reason why the, the, there's irritability and, 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 and despondency and depression in your home because you're irritable all the time? Or because you're loving your wife? That makes for a happy home. I think it's interesting to note here that whenever Paul addresses the, relation, the family relationships here in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, he always addresses the relationship between the husband and wife first before he deals with the relationship with their kids. Why do you think that is? I think it's because God wants us to remember that the husband and wife relationship is the most important relationship in the home. It's the it's the permanent relationship. It's the, it's the relationship that's going to last a lifetime, right? So therefore, it's the primary relationship. Whereas a relationship with the children is a temporary relationship. And therefore, it's secondary. We, we get that from Genesis 2.24, where it says, A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In other words, that's the way it's supposed to be, that, that, that kids are supposed to leave the house, right? Get married, start their own family, become one, and then train up another generation who will leave the home, and, and the process keeps going on and on and on. And so we have to remember that the primary relationship in the home is the husband and wife relationship. I mean, how do you express that? Well, I've told my kids, listen, I love you guys a ton, but I love your mom way more. You say, well, that sounds harsh. Well, no, I want them to understand. I love them tremendously, but not as much as I love Kelly. I want them to see that that's a, that's, my relationship with my wife is more important. Sometimes you could say this, guys, if your kid's talking back to, your, to, your, to, your, to their mom, you say, hey, excuse me, don't talk to my wife that way. See, you're, you're defending your wife. You're standing on the side of, she's my wife. She's not just your mom. She's, she's my wife, man. I'm going to let you talk that way to my wife. You respect my wife. You honor my wife. I think this principle is often violated by parents in one of two ways. Uh, one is by not letting kids go after they left the home, right? There, there's mother-in-law jokes for a reason. Where's my mother-in-law? No. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in trouble now. Thankfully, I don't, we don't have to joke about that at our house. We have a good relationship. But there are, you know, there's, no, there's a reason why there's mother-in-law jokes, right? Because sometimes parents have a hard time letting go of their kids. Another way parents violate that is by letting kids be the focus of their attention the whole time they're in the home. And the parents' whole world revolves around the kids. And by the time the kid goes off to college, they realize that they've grown apart. They've lost the only thing they had in common. And so they want to get what? Divorced. Because they focus the whole time for, for 20 years, the first 20 years of the marriage, on something other than themselves. Their relationship was the relationship with their kids. I think this principle is violated by kids who demand to be the center of attention. They, they, they're demanding a child-centered home. They want it to be, everything's about me, right? That they're the center of the universe. And so they distract parents from one another and they drive a wedge between them and they play off one another. And instead of being a welcome addition to the family, 
They become the all-consuming member who ends up controlling the home. I don't know if you guys remember, probably the young people will be the only ones who remember this. I'm going to date myself. Remember that old uh, cartoon called Pinky and the Brain? Anybody ever, is that still on? I mean, I, I used to watch that, you know, when I was a youth pastor, just to kind of be up with the kids, what they're watching. But Pinky and the Brain was a funny thing because every day, every, every uh, uh, what do you call that, uh, session or episode, there's the word. Every episode, it kind of started off, Pinky goes up to the Brain and says, what are we going to do today, Brain? And Brain always said what? We're going to figure out a way. To take over the world, right? You know what he said? Hey, that's every little kid that's ever been born, okay? That every day they wake up and their whole focus is, how am I going to take over the world? Um, and so you got to know that that's by nature what that kid's coming into the, into the, into the family with. And you got to be real careful to, to help them along. Well, kids, let me, let me just encourage you with something. If you qualify as a kid this morning, okay? Uh, this is probably applies maybe to, to more of the older kids, but you know what? You need to be a blessing and not a burden to your parents. You need to be a blessing. That's one of the things we always encourage our kids with when they're going over to somebody's house or somebody's going to watch them. What do you need to be? A blessing or a burden? Um, we want to encourage our family, our kids to be, to be a blessing. And when you disobey and when you rebel, it not only puts a strain on your relationship with your mom and dad, it also puts a relationship on their marriage. Do you realize that? While you're living in your parents' home, you should make it your goal to do everything you can to make their relationship the best it possibly can be. You don't want to be one of those kids that goes off to college and then gets a letter from mom and says, oh, by the way, your dad and I are splitting up, right? You don't want to have that be your experience. So what, do you, what can you do while you're in the home? Well, you do everything you can to, to enhance your parents' relationship. Babysit for the younger kids so they can go out on a date. Prepare them a candlelight dinner and then go lock yourself in your bedroom and play GameCube or something. I don't know. <laughs> wash the dishes so that your parents can go sit on the couch. Say, Mom and Dad, you know what? I'm going to wash the dishes. You guys go sit on the couch and talk. I mean, wouldn't that be cool, parents? If, if your kids would say, hey, I'll do that. You guys go talk. You guys go spend some time together. I think, that, I think kids, you need to think that way, that you want to be used by God to enhance your parents' relationship. And why? Because this is the principle. The marriage relationship is the foundation for a happy, healthy, well-ordered home. A family will not have stability and harmony unless the relationship between the husband and wife is right. And, and that's why when, when we'll go on a date, we try to do a date night as, as regularly as possible, weekly if possible. And sometimes our kids will kind of mope and be sad that we're leaving. And we'll say, hey, listen, what we tell them is, listen... You need to let mommy and daddy go because when mommy and daddy can spend time together, that helps us be a better mommy and daddy. So you need to let us go so we can come back and do a better job with you guys. See, a happy home starts with mom and dad's marriage. And I found this out when I was doing a lot of counseling as a youth pastor, that parents would call me up and say, hey, my young person's being rebellious. He's out of control. He's doing this. He's doing that. Or she's doing this or that. Would you please counsel with us and uh, help us uh, with our child? And I said, you bet. Come on in. So they would come in and the, the parents would come in over here and the kid would sit over here. And, and, uh, and then I would begin asking them questions about what was going on. And, and uh, the more I would talk and gather data and get information, what I would typically find is that the kid problem was oftentimes a what? A parent problem. Sure, this kid was in sin, 
And he was being rebellious. He was being disobedient. Okay. And he was not honoring his parents and not honoring God's word. But there were some contributing factors going on in the, in the married relationship. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. He says, quote, for the most part, children do not create problems. They reveal them. Huh? He's right. Oftentimes when parents would come and I would talk with them and, and, and next, next thing you know, I'm, I'm focused not on their kid. I'm focused on them and I'm asking them all these questions about their marriage and they're like, well, time out, partner. We didn't come for marriage counseling. We want you to fix our kid. And I would say, well, yeah, but there's a method to my madness here because I, I'm seeing some things in your relationship that if we can get you guys doing these kind of things that the Bible's talking about, I think Junior here is going to take care of himself. I think it's going to just kind of be a byproduct because he's going to see you guys being the husband and the wife that he knows that the Bible says you need to be. So that's very, very important that we understand this relationship between the husband and wife relationship and the parent-kid relationship. Keep those in proper perspective. You don't want to have a child-centered home. You don't even want to have a marriage-centered home. You want to have a what? A, a Christ-centered home, ultimately. And by getting all these relationships in their proper priority and order is a Christ-centered home. Well, let's move on to the third habit. The third habit of a happy home we'll call attention. Attention. Verse 20, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And so Paul says that the children's responsibility is to be an obedient listener. To be an obedient listener. We've got a respectful helper, right? Or a submissive helper. We've got a loving leader. Now we've got an obedient listener. And that word obey uh, is really two words put together, here and under. So literally it means to hear under. It says children need to hear under. In other words, you need to get under your parents' authority and listen up. I remember when Hannah was littler, she one time blurted out, she says, Daddy, you're on top of me. And I'm like, what? You're on top of me. Well, what she was trying, I wasn't even near her. You know, that's why it was weird. But what, that was her way of saying, Daddy, you're over me. You're on top of me. And I thought that was a great little kid way of saying, Daddy, okay, I understand you're my authority. You're over me. You're on top of me. So... What Paul's saying is, children, be obedient. Get under your parents' authority and listen up. Pay attention. Listen attentively and respond obediently. There's a reason why Proverbs says over and over and over again, father talking to his son, son what? What does he say over and over again? Listen. Hear my son. Don't spurn what what you're hearing. And on and on and on it goes. I mean, have you ever, okay, let's be honest. You may have never said this, but you've thought it. When you've told your kid to do something and you're thinking, are you deaf? Anybody ever think that? At least think it, okay? So others have said it, okay? There's a reason why we're like, okay, you're, are you deaf? Did you not? Because it, we see if, if, if the issue is hearing, that by nature children are going to struggle with listening. And so that's why there's this constant frustration. Are you deaf or what, right? Well, no, because they have a hard time listening. Ephesians 6 1 and 2, again, expands on this. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So there's two things there. There's an action and there's an attitude. You need to obey your parents and the Lord. And you need to what? Honor them. So there's two principles there. You need to obey right away. And you need to obey with a right attitude, Right? So that's very, very important principle there. Well, 
What happened in the Old Testament, kids? you guys remember this? Those of you that know your, learned this in Sunday school, if, if our Sunday school teachers are doing a good job, they've taught you this passage. Uh, back in Deuteronomy, where it talks about when children were disobedient to their parents, what happened to them? They got stoned. And that's not smoking something, okay? <laughs> they, they went out and, and had somebody put rocks on them and kill them. And they, they, they take the kid to the elders and they say, this kid won't listen to us. He's being rebellious. And they said, okay, let's kill him. You're like, whoo, I'm glad I don't live in the Old Testament. We'd have a whole lot less kids here this morning. I mean, that'd be like saying, if you rebelled against your parents today and didn't do what they told you to do, they told you to go in and clean your room and you went outside instead, or they told you not to do this, or they told you to be home at this time and you weren't, and this was a consistent pattern in your life of rebellion and disobedience, we take you up to Huntsville and give you electric chair or, or, or give you the lethal injection. I mean, that's, that's how radical that was. And you're going, whoa. Well, society's standards may have changed towards disobedient children. But guess what? God's attitude toward disobedient children hasn't. He sees disobedience and disrespect as a crime worthy of death. There's that proverb, I think it's Proverbs 30. 18, it talks about the eye that despises the parent should be pecked out by a raven. You're like, that's disgusting. Well, that's what disobedience is to God. It's disgusting. And he says, if you, so, so it's the eye thing, right? Next time, kids, you think about rolling your eyes when your parents tell you to do something, roll your eyes at them, you deserve a raven to come <laughs> peck out your eyeball. That's what it's saying. I mean, this is practical stuff, isn't it? Parents are going, hmm, I'm going to go buy a bird and get in the house. And just be old, ugly raven sitting in a cage in there. But notice what this is. This is great. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Not just in some things or when you feel like it or when you agree with them or you think it's a good idea. But in everything. Why? For this is what? Well-pleasing to the Lord. It pleases God. It makes God happy. You know Why? Because your parents, my parents, all of our parents are God's representatives in our lives for his glory and our good. And that includes, even includes bad parents. Okay? You look at Romans 13.1, all authority is placed in our lives by who? God. Even bad authority. Even authority that fails. Even sinful authority. God puts them in our lives. So you say, well, I ain't submit, I ain't obeying my parents. You know, knuckleheads, man. They did this and that. They don't. Hey, you know what? It honors God when you submit to your authority. Why? Because ultimately you're submitting to who? To Him. And it pleases Him. And we need to motivate our children to obey us, not to please us, but to please God. That's a big one for us parents, isn't it? We want them to please us. No, no, we want them, we need to help them to learn to please God because when they go off to college and mom and dad aren't there anymore, looking over their shoulder or giving them a curfew, we want them to have something that's going to hold them in check. And what is the only thing that's going to hold them in check? That they have a passion to please God. And that you've trained them, we've trained them as parents that they make decisions not based on what mommy and daddy think you should do or what will please mommy and daddy, what will please God? A good question to ask a child when they disobey is, did that make God happy or sad? I mean, did that, did that please the Lord? Or how about this one? This is a good one. Were you trying to please God or were you trying to please yourself? That's hard to say because that's like, ooh, that's like applies to me too. 
as a, as a dad, as a husband? You know, that's a great question to ask. That's the bottom line on everything in life. Are we trying to please God or are we trying to please ourselves? Do we have God's interests in mind or do we have our own interests in mind? So the third habit of a happy home is children obeying their parents. So children, listen up. How you doing? Are you faithfully fulfilling your responsibility to maintain a happy home? Are you being an obedient listener? Are you part of the problem? Are you part of the solution? Fourth habit. Fourth habit. Exasperation. It's kind of been a negative here. The first three are positive. The third one is a fourth one is, is a negative. Exasperation. Notice what he says. Fathers. Stop there for a second. What's Paul doing there? He's addressing the parents through who? Their leader. Through their point man. The father's the one who has the primary responsibility of raising the children. We're the ones that God is going to hold ultimately responsible for our families. It's okay to delegate certain things to your wife and, and, and responsibilities, but don't abdicate. Don't say, well, the, the kids, that's kind of her deal. No. If you're doing that, you're out of God's will. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Paul says that the father's, or we could say parents' responsibility in general, is to be an encouraging instructor. An encouraging instructor. That word exasperate means to provoke to anger, to irritate, to frustrate. And it says if you do that, if fathers or parents do that, what's going to happen to your kids? They're going to lose heart. What does that mean? They're going to be without courage. You're going to discourage them. You're going to break their spirit. Or, or another picture would be you're going to take the wind out of their sails. Ephesians 6.4 says, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. It's the only negative command given to parents in the entire Bible. What should that tell us? What's the one sin that parents are going to struggle with more than anything else? Survey says exasperation. That's it. That's what we're going to struggle with. We need to be aware of that. I think this is the main way that parents tend to sin against their kids. Because when a kid is constantly nagged or criticized or abused or corrected or blamed or yelled at or not provided for or overprotected or underdisciplined or neglected or not trusted or compared to others... They naturally begin to lose hope of ever pleasing their parents or anybody for that matter. And so they eventually just may throw up their arms in frustration and say, well, I can't do anything right. And so they just give up. And giving up looks, takes lots of different forms. Some kids give up into drugs. Some kids give up into rebellion or sex or they run away or they commit suicide. You know, being a kid in today's world is a rough deal. I mean, there is way more that my kids, your kids are going to have to deal with than we've ever, ever had to deal with when we were growing up. And they face these pressures and these decisions that we never had to make necessarily. And they need extra love and support and encouragement. And if they don't get it from us, they're going to get it somewhere else. And guys typically will find a bunch of buddies to get it from. And not the best kind of guys to hang around kind of buddies, right? And oftentimes, gals, they'll go look for it in another guy, in an immoral relationship. You know, I would just encourage us as parents that we need to really consider if there's any ways that we are exasperating our children. 
And if we are, um, we need to confess that to God, and we also have to sit our kids down and confess it to them. That could be revolutionary in your relationship with your children. If you confess, when's the last time you sat down with your kids and says, guess what, guys, we've been sinning against you. We were wrong. Will you please forgive us? And their kids are going, <laughs> they pass out, right? <laughs> what an awesome, godly example of humility to go to your kids and confess. I remember one time I was, I was uh, in a situation with my kids and, and I had to spank them and I got angry and I disciplined them in anger. Am I the only guy that ever did that? No, okay. And, and it was all alone. I was so convicted and I said, guys, you know what? Daddy sinned because I disciplined you in anger. And you know what? This is when they were a little younger. I said, daddy deserves a spanking. And their eyes got really big. And they were like, which one of us gets to do that? You know? But I wanted to communicate to them that guess what? I'm a sinner just like you're a sinner. We all struggle. Um, and we need to think about practical ways that instead of provoking our kids to anger, we need to provoke them or stimulate them to love and good deeds. Amen? So the fourth habit of happy home is parents encouraging their children. How are we doing, parents? Are we faithfully fulfilling our responsibility to, to love our kids and encourage them? Are we encouraging instruction instructors? There they are, the four habits of a happy, harmonious home. And I would guarantee you that whenever you experience any kind of fighting, any kind of chaos, any kind of disorder, any type of conflict in your home, you can trace it back to a violation of one of these four habits or a violation of one of these four commands. Either, either the wife was not submitting, the husband was not loving, the kids were not obeying, and the fathers or the parents were not encouraging, they were exasperating. I guarantee it, every conflict that comes up in your home this afternoon, you can trace it back to one of these four things. You say, great, so what are we supposed to do about it? <laughs> well, hey, there it is. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out how to have a, have, have a happy home. Go ahead and I would encourage you to write these four verses out. Type them out on the computer and say, these are the, the rules of the house. And guess what? According to Matthew chapter 7, which says, hey, why are you trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own eye, right? First take the log out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The cool thing about this is, and this is simple, that each person in the, in the home only has one thing to be thinking about. Usually, the problem starts, though, when we start worrying too much about our, other people's responsibility, right? Hey, you're not doing this, or hey, you're not doing this. Well, what about you? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? And so that's the cool thing about it. Hey, if we just focus in on one thing, and, and if you're a wife... All you need to worry about is verse 18. If you're a husband, all you got to worry about is verse 19. If you're a kid, all you need to worry about is verse 20. If you're parents, well, you need to worry about 18, 19, and 21. <laughs> but the point is, you just focus in on one thing. Everyone only has one thing to think about and focus on. And when you do that, because simply conflict, well, you do this, and you did this, or you didn't do this, forget about that. You focus in on your one responsibility, your one function and dads I'm going to put the pressure on us that we're the coach okay we need to make sure that everybody's playing their position right and if there's a foul you're also the referee <whistles> blow the whistle right and including blow the whistle on yourself right guys when's the last time you said honey 
I shouldn't have spoke to you that way. That was harsh. Kids, you guys heard me say that. That was wrong. I didn't treat mommy the way I, I didn't treat my wife the way I should have. You need to do that. You need to be an example. You know what? God designed our family to be one of the greatest blessings of life. Do you realize that? It's easy to forget that, isn't it? Because too often our family becomes a what? A burden. Our marriage becomes a burden. Our kids become a burden. Our parents become a burden. Our brother and sister become burdens. Well, whether you like it or not, those people you're sitting next to, guess what? That's your family. God's sovereign, isn't he? That's your husband. That's your wife. Those are your kids. That's your mom and dad. And you got a choice. You can either all do your own thing and kind of just, you know, deal with the consequences and end up having your family be a burden. Or everyone can work together and obey God's word and enjoy one another and enjoy the family and have it be the blessing that God intends it to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not putting us into a situation without also giving us the resources to know how to do it. And Lord, this marriage thing and this family thing, and it's, it's a challenge for all of us. It's not easy because it goes against our sinful nature, Father, and we're all sinners. And you put a bunch of sinners together under one roof and you're going to have a bunch of sin going on all the time. And yet you've given us ways to, to learn how to overcome that and to be obedient. And so, Father, I pray you'd help us to put these practical principles into play in our families this afternoon and this week. I pray that we'd be stirred up by way of reminder. I'm sure we didn't hear anything new today that we haven't heard before, but it's just good to be reminded of these things and to be refocused. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to practice these things. Lord, even if we blow it again this afternoon or we mess up this week, Lord, that we wouldn't be discouraged and depressed, but Lord, we just learn from it and work harder and say, Lord, you need to be more gracious and merciful because it seems like I keep stumbling in this area. And so Lord, help us to develop these habits and to maintain these habits of submitting and loving and listening and encouraging, Father, so that our homes would be the blessing that you designed them to be, that we would experience you and your grace and your mercy and your creativity and everything that you have really demonstrated about yourself through family interaction and relationship. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you are visiting with us again, thanks for coming. Make sure you Stop by our hospitality center on the way out and give us your little card. Uh, We will look forward to seeing you this Friday night for our Good Friday communion service at 7. Let's stand together and uh, sing one more song as we close.